Hey, John. Hi, Dan Benjamin. How are you? I'm well, although I was recording and uh, I have reverb on the vocals. Again. Yeah, so I'm going to take the reverb off here. All right. I mean, only if you want. I, you know, it's fun. If we if we both were down in a cistern, <laughs> if we were recording this podcast together in an empty cistern, yeah. I would kind of be into it. But just being myself in a cistern with you being in a nice, dry, safe environment, um, I think that I would rather come out of that hole. Sure. I'm um, hearing like all kinds of buzzing, though, on your line is too it, is there buzzing there's buzzing is there still buzzing i think it got better all right let me let me uh i mean me, the show will never air so it's right of course we'll cut all this out yeah <laughs> this will never make it but um let me let me just make sure that the buzzing isn't also some feature of garage band oh that they didn't tell us about right, right okay right. now garage band is off how's it sound now I mean, it sounds, I think it sounds better. Good. It's buzz-free, largely buzz-free. Yeah. 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 That made it all good. <coughs> all good. good. All good. That's my motto. Yeah. All good. It's all good. Damn. So what's going on up there in, uh, in your neck of the woods, the Pacific, in Bigfoot country, as my boy would want me to say. Mm-hmm. He's absolutely right. Uh, it is seafair. And this is the week that the Blue Angels arrive. And so the Blue Angels woke me up this morning, as they love to do. Are these a, is this a bird? Oh, the Blue Angels, the, the naval uh, aerobatic jet fighters. Oh, wow. That, that come every... Um, the, those Blue Angels. The Blue Angels, I remember yes. when I was a kid, we, we always were talking about the Blue Angels. Mm-hmm. The, Air Force, uh, the Air Force demonstration team is called the Thunderbirds. And the Navy team is called the Blue Angels. The Blue Angels. I think I remember discovering that and learning about that and thinking, well, the Navy, they're all about ships. They don't have planes. That's the Air Force. Mm, but that's, yes. not, that's not the case anymore. Well, it never was. The naval, uh, naval aviation was from the very get-go. In fact, it may be that the Navy was, I don't know if I have my facts entirely right, but the Navy was a very early adopter of uh, of the airplanes and um, they recognized that it extended their reach to, to shoot planes out from their, from their boats. Right. And um, so, you know, like uh, naval aviators are very proud and very, um, how would you describe them? Um, chauvinistic. They're very chauvinistic about the, about the Navy Navy's air power. Some of the best flyers you would think of are in the Navy. That's what they think. Absolutely. I mean, they fly under, under radically different uh, conditions than other pilots, you know, especially if you're on an air aircraft carrier, but my dad was a Navy pilot and that was a big deal. Sure. Big, big deal to him and a big deal, you know, that you can just tell Navy pilots to think that they're a big deal. It's not that Air Force pilots don't think they're a deal. The Air Force, the Air Force, let's say this. The Air Force has a culture, uh, institutional culture, I think, that is pretty straight-laced. They're, you know, they're, the Air Force Academy is in Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. There's, I think, within the, within the warfighting culture, let's call it, uh, there's a sense that the Air Force upper brass are often 
uh, evangelical. Hmm, yeah. And so within the Air Force, there's a sort of like buttoned up um, culture that that isn't real cowboy. It's much more, um, it's, it's tight-laced. And the Navy is, you know, top gunny, right. swaggery, right. leather jackety. I think that they talk to each other. Like if you're a Navy flyer and you're on board of a, a, an aircraft carrier, you don't, you don't have to be all yes or no, sir. You can kind of just slouch around. That's, a, that's at least the sense I get as a complete <laughs> layperson who has never served a day in the armed forces. Right. But I, uh, you know, I'm an avid reader of, um, <clears throat> you know, military. Yeah. That's your whole, that's your whole configuration. Well, that worries me. I've been thinking about that. You know, there, there's a, there is a type of of guy. Let's say there's a type of guy who never served in the military, mm-hmm. never was a policeman, certainly never was a spy, but spends an inordinate amount of time sitting around talking about the military, the cops, and the spy services. That's you. Well, but I don't like that. That is a. I hope that that is not me, in the sense that the that your typical guy that meets that description is. There, well, there's nothing typical, I think. No one would accuse you of being typical. Well, that's sweet, but if you walk around, you know, if you are a sneech with their, with a star on your belly, you may be a very unusual sneech, but you're still characterized by the star on your belly mm-hmm. relative to other sneeches. And I don't, you know, I, I, I dabble in the dark arts of train sets and shorewave radios and... Um, you know, but the, but the danger is that if you trend too much that direction, you can become one of those guys that's driving around in a, in a, like a decommissioned police car, Mm -hmm. which you have made some attempt to make like it is currently a police car. Right. I mean, you, right, right, right. You start to be a, like a, it starts to get a little weird. Or if you're, if you, if you go the other way, which is like you're a 1962 dad who is just out in the basement all the time trying to listen to the Russians on his shortwave radio. I, you, you get what I'm saying? Like, yes. like it's, uh, it's fine for a, for a 10 year old to think about airplanes all the time. It maybe is even fine for a, for a 19 year old, but then it becomes, it's just a, it's a little bit suspect. And I know in our contemporary culture that you are not just allowed to be a nerd your whole life, but also should be very proud of it. Right. And there's probably someone listening to this program that's, that's chastising me for not being totally proud about sitting around reading my father's old naval aviation magazines that I still have a subscription to because, because even though I sent them a cancellation notice when he died, it's one of those magazines that they'll just send you for your whole life. I don't know if you've ever gotten one of those magazines, Dan, but there are some magazines cause I was an avid magazine subscriber. Some magazines you can cancel as much as you want, but they'll just keep sending you the magazine forever. Have you ever had this experience? I'm trying to recall that, but no, I don't think I have. I don't think uh, so. The, the, I think the way the magazine business works is that, they don't make any money like actually selling you the magazines. They make all their money 
in advertising, kind of like the internet. Sure. And so the way they charge a lot of money for advertising is by their circulation numbers. And so, you know, I mean, they're charging you pennies on the dollar for the thing in the first place to lose your subscription, to lose your number is worse than to lose that money. So they just, I mean, I, one time I accidentally subscribed, not accidentally, but I subscribed to Red Book. Oh, yeah. Not accidentally. Which is like a magazine for grandmothers. Yeah. Or not grandmothers, but let's say mothers. Has a lot of good recipes, has a lot of good home tips. And I, and I subscribed to it because I was like, yeah, home tips. I'm like, I'm into home tips. Some tips. I got a home now. I yeah, need some right. tips. You, this is the book for you. And you get this red book and it's, it, the paper's very thin because the, the magazine has a lot of pages. But within those pages, it was hard for me to find things that, that I really considered like useful tips for me at least. I'm not trying to get lipstick out of, out of my shirt collar. You know what I mean? And so <laughs> over time, the red books were just piling up. And I was like, please cancel this red book. Mm, you couldn't. You couldn't cancel a red book. Um, and I think, what did I do? I routed them somewhere. I was like, why don't you send my subscription to red book over here to this other place, to this, um, to this rehab center for uh, for old ladies or whatever. I don't remember what I did, but I finally got them to stop coming. But canceling the subscription was not enough. Let's just say that. But, but I don't, I, you know, I don't want to revel in my, in my like nerdy youthful proclivities. I don't no. want to, I don't want to celebrate the fact that I sit around, um, reading Quora about, Russian tank battles from World War II. It's I, I'm not embarrassed by it, but I don't want it to be. I don't want it to be defining about me. Like I don't know. Are you familiar with Quora? Yeah, yeah. Where you ask a question, and then the internet, usually a very knowledgeable subgroup of a particular area of the internet, will attempt to answer. Yes, that was whatever the question was. They'll whatever the they'll question get the answer. Well, I never signed up for Quora. I never, I had no idea it existed. But one day I started getting emails from Quora. And I think for a long time, I just deleted them. Like I delete all my junk mail. I mean, I get 40 junk mails every time I open my email. Yeah. It's like, delete, delete, delete. But I didn't set up a filter or something. Because you only do that once a year. Anyway, one day I opened one of these Quora emails and there were all these threads that were like, what's the best, what is the, you know, what's the, the, um, the greatest lopsided tank battle victory. in?" (laughs) And you felt, you felt compelled to answer, I bet. Well, not, I didn't feel compelled to answer because that's a very specific question. And I was like. I too am curious. Right. What okay. is the greatest lopsided tank battle in history? And so I opened this email and I read this fascinating answer about one time on the, in Kursk or whatever, one German Tiger tank killed 30 Russian T-34 tanks in one battle while suffering no damage. And I was like, 
wow, cool, cool story, bro. Yeah. And then somebody else was like, well, yes, technically, yes, but remember this story about the one time that one Russian T-34 tank held off 24 German tanks. And I was like, who knew that these battles were taking place? Like, this was outside of my, this is a little bit more specific than I typically go when it comes to knowing about tank battles. Right. So... I started reading these Quora emails and every one of them had multiple questions about tank battles so that for for a few months, I thought that Quora was the online forum for discussing tank warfare. Right. I mean, I can say, and maybe it is. Well, I mean, the unofficial one, but perhaps. Well, so, so one day after, after a few months of reading these accounts of like, you know, what is the best, you know, what is the best job inside of a tank? Oh, definitely the gunner or whatever, you know, like tell me who, you know, what did Saddam Hussein's tanks smell like inside? Mm -hmm. Like all this weird stuff, always about tanks. So finally, one day I clicked on the link to actually like, see what Quora was. Well, it turns out you can talk about anything on Quora. This is true. And literally anything. Yeah, people are, people are talking about all kinds of things. Yeah. And I said, then, well, I didn't sign up for these. Somehow, some, for some reason, Quora started sending me these daily updates. So, does that mean that someone signed me up for this and put... <laughs> Then checked the box when it said like, what are your interests? It just, tank- they checked the box tank warfare yeah. and just started sending me emails about tank, tank battles. It's, it's, it still is a real mystery to me and I still get them every day. And I, I went on Quora at one point and said like, I'm interested in a lot of things like this and that and space travel and, and, uh, you know, like some other kinds of battles. Like let's talk about horse battles or let's talk about, um, I mean, like I put a bunch of stuff in there that I wanted to talk about, but I, but I don't know. Obviously this email that I get every day is coming from a different thing. Cause I didn't start getting a second email and the email that I am getting still is mostly about tanks, mm-hmm. sometimes about tank killing aircraft. Um, that's still mostly, Mostly the kind of thing you want. It yeah, sounds a, like there's a tank element to yeah. every story, though, and uh, and I was not pri- I was not previously like Mister Tanks, <laughs> right? Um. Anyway, so so I mean, I, I Quora seems like also uh, Matt Howie's meta filter. Meta filter, sure. These were things that, in principle, I loved the idea. Like, oh, you go in here and you just talk to like people that are smart about stuff and ask him questions. And, but I, I, I never, I, I haven't yet fully become a member of the Quora community. Yeah. And I have, I've never answered a question. I'm just a lurker. It was kind of sure. like all, all those years I spent on 4chan. I never said a word. Right. Cause I was afraid of getting doxxed. Right. Yeah. Well, you should be. I was afraid that I'd, I'd I'd go on some forum and I'd be like, "Yeah, you guys, totally." <laughs> you can't say be, anything on those things. And they'd say, "Who's this noob?" And then I'd get four hundred pizzas. Oh yeah, 
So I didn't, I never, because I, I'm not smart enough about computers. All those teenagers on 4chan that are like, I can find your IP address. It reflected in your glasses. Frame. Yeah, they can. They can. And I was like, I don't want to risk it. I don't even want to, I don't even want to be on here. See, it's I'm funny a, that you're afraid of that, but you're not afraid to put that picture of your, of your keys on Instagram. I mean, I'm not saying I got a set right here, but do your worst. I'm, you know, no, it's, it's, uh, you know, I'm not afraid of like somebody coming up on my porch and having a set of my house keys. Cause I, my house already got broken into. It's always, I've already had the worst, the worst experience. I mean, I see a lot of people would have their house broken into and their response would be to get an alarm system and maybe a German shepherd or something like that. And your response is to post the keys Onto, yeah. the, onto the internet as if to say, you know, like you said, like, do, do your worst. I've never, I don't lock my car. You're one of those people that doesn't like your car. No, I don't lock my car. You've, you, you, I don't want somebody breaking the window to get in and steal nothing, which happens all the time. People break a side window to open your glove box and find nothing. So, so go ahead. you would rather someone have free access to the car, discovered there's nothing of any real value in the car, and then yeah. just just be on their way go ahead rifle my car go for it you're gonna find you're gonna find nothing you're gonna find a bunch of stuff and the thing is i don't it's not like i clear out the car and it's completely clear like i have a i have a pair of world war ii era binoculars i remember my friend used to leave his cell phone in the car just sitting up this is before iphones and he would leave his cell phone in the car and i'm like bill why are you gonna leave that there and he's like, I don't, I don't, who cares? I'm like, well, couldn't someone just steal it? And he's like, that would be the dumbest possible thing they could do. I'm like, why? <laughs> he's like, what do they want my cell phone for? I'm like, well, they could, they could sell. This is a guy who he like did pioneering work for DEC, like inventing VT100, like that. Mm-hmm. VT100. You know? And I'm like, well, yeah, someone could, could steal. He's like, nah, they'd be dumb to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, then maybe they wouldn't be, I don't leave my phone in there. Yeah. But, I, but you got a World War II times, thing in there. Yeah, multiple times people have come into my car in the middle of the night. You can tell that they've been in there. They've opened the glove box and they've opened the, you know, the, uh, the place where I have the binoculars. Right. And here's what they're looking for. They're looking for a pistol in the glove box. Right, of course. They're looking for $15. Like, you know, my, my mom's car got rifled the other day. She locks her car, but she, she forgot to or something. And they took $15 in quarters that my mom keeps for... <laughs> That's the dry cleaner. Absurd. And, uh, and then they're looking for, yeah, what your cell phone, your laptop. Like I, I can just see one of these like drug addicted car riflers bringing my world war two binoculars to their fence and saying, what do you give me for these? And the answer would be, I will give you less money for those than the, amount of energy that you expended carrying them here. Yeah, sure. Right. You would have to, you would have to buy twice the food that this money would provide you just to re- replenish the energy. So no, I leave my car unlocked and yeah, I mean, I, the, uh, the do your worst thing about like break into my house is one thing, but the 4chan, like 4chan was getting you from both sides, right? Because, because the teenage kids, on there were trying to convince each other that they had special internet superpowers. Right. Sure. Where I was like, you know, I'm going to, if you, if you, uh, if you troll me one more time about my 
cat or whatever, I'm going to come after you and turn the lights off in your house. And whether or not they believed one another, I don't know, but I totally believe them because I was, I don't know anything about them, about that kind of technology. So I was like, you know, I don't want to attract the attention of these monsters because, you know, they would sometimes post the, their victories where they had targeted some innocent person and ruined their life. And I was just like, these kids are amoral terrorists. But then the flip side of it was the FBI was supposed to be there and all these kids were totally paranoid. The FBI was watching them, not just watching them, but like baiting them. So I didn't want to attract the attention of the FBI either just for being like a guy that's lurking on here. So every time I logged onto 4chan, I was scared. Not, you know, I was like, I was tiptoeing, tiptoeing around. Sure, yeah. And then eventually I was like, it wasn't fun anymore. For the 4chan changed and it, and it became, <laughs> it became a bunch of noobs and it yeah. wasn't fun. Yeah, get out of there. But, uh, but I do, you know, I do, I have, I have a certain amount of faith that the actual work of doing things like making keys from a photograph and then having those keys and being weird enough that you would come seek out the person that you already like or know enough to follow on the internet to have gotten these keys in the first place and then key into that person's home. That is, you know, that's a chain. That's a sequence that at every step just seems more and more unlikely. I all, I almost wouldn't put it past listeners of this program uh, to, to at least one listener to actually have a set of my keys that they made. Yeah. I wouldn't put that past somebody at all. That seems like some a perfectly nerdy thing that somebody would have done. What I would like would be for one of our listeners to uh, to go get that picture, do their mm. very, very best to make a set of these keys on their 3D printer and mm. send a set to John. Oh, that's a great idea. And I would say that anyone who is able to successfully make a duplicate of your key that you can try <laughs> on your own door, they <laughs> should win. They should win something. I don't know what they it is. Absolutely. You know what, Dan? That is a great that's a great dare. Throw down the gauntlet for them. And I will, the person who succeeds in making a key that gets me into any one of the things that those keys represent, my house, my office, my truck. Because, you know, there's only, they only see one side of the key. They only need, one, in other words, they only need to successfully reproduce one of those keys. One of those keys. If they can successfully. Looking, I'm going to put keys. the. the uh, oh, this. no, no. They, they have to find the picture. Okay. All right. All right. I won't do them any favors. You know, this is not like, here you go. Right. It's like, if you're a weirdo and you're yeah. going to try right. this, then no, do I like it. it. I like this. Use your powers. Yeah. Use your reverse photo searching. Right. Um, yes, I will. I will prepare a very cool prize for, uh, for the person that accepts that challenge. Because first of all, I'm very curious to see if it can be done. Given that you can only see one side of the, one side of the key. And, uh, and if it is successful, maybe it will be, it will, it will function as a sort of 4chaning. It will 4chan me again into being a little bit more cautious because, you know, I, I told you, I'm, I'm not sure if I did, but at one point, because, because, uh, in the early days of our, uh, of the program I do with Merlin, he was always very cautious about saying things online that, would allow people to triangulate to his house. 
Just as, and I was the same way or worse, right? I never put geo geotagging on any of my photos. I never talk. I didn't mention my daughter's name for a long time, but I said enough things about where I lived. And there were a couple where Merlin was like, I don't know if you want to say that. Yeah. It was like, eh. but I, you know, I, I'm very careful not to have photos taken of my, of the front of my house where you could see the address. And, and largely, yeah, there are a couple of people that I was, that I was worried. I was worried that they were going to show up. Really? Like, like how, what made you worry? What was it about those people? Like, oh, you know, like listeners who would email in with no, 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 no. I've I've never been a I've never been concerned by listeners. Okay. I mean the people that the people that write me from the program are always people that have a lot of things that they want to talk about. You know, they have a lot of questions they want to a- have answered, and they want to make a connection because they have because either they have a lot of questions or they want to be friends or you know that and and sometimes you feel like they're a little bit aggressive, but never scary. No, the only people that I've ever been scared of are people that I knew in real life. Oh. Who were, um, you know, fans of the band or people that I'd known personally who were, who had lost the plot a little bit and had become kind of stalkery. And then, mm. <clears throat> you know, what they say, of course, is when somebody's, when somebody is stalking you online or in person. The, the what you what you want to do is try and reason with them and say hey i hear what you're saying i hear that you know i hear what you want but you have to understand that that's not reasonable and i want you to start leaving me alone now because it's getting weird and i know that you don't want to be weird so let's just move it along mm-hmm. but if you're dealing with somebody who's authentically um a stalker like authentically has that character you what you're what you're actually meant to do is not acknowledge them at all because if you give them if you give them the acknowledgement any acknowledgement of like yes i see you i hear what you're saying then you're just feeding the monster right our first sponsor today is blue apron blue apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone How do they do it? They achieve this by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. That's us. I'm not just talking about this and and just reading a script about it. They sent me a whole bunch of this, and I took it home, and I made it, and it, it really turns out great. The pictures that they show you when they send you these uh, these, you know, the recipe cards and the stuff that goes along with it, they're not showing you something that like some five-star chef made in, you know, her like five-star kitchen. And then they just took a picture and said, yeah, they'll figure it. No, they, like the pictures of the food, that's what it's going to look like when you're done. And it's going to taste great. And by the end of it, you're like, oh my gosh, like I cooked this and it's really fresh and the food is really fresh and this is as good as a restaurant. Like what's up with that? I never would have been able to figure out how to get this stuff in the store, which store to go to and where to put it all together. And by the time that you're going to like the third place, you're like, what am I doing this for? This isn't fun. The fun part's like cooking it and eating it, not spending hours researching uh, where to get the ingredients and which ingredients to use. They take care of all of that. And for less than $10 per meal, they're going to deliver great recipes, seasonal recipes, 
with these pre-portioned ingredients so that you can make a delicious meal in your own house. And if I could do it, I guarantee you that you could do it. So check out this week's menu. They change the menu all the time. By the way, as, as you know, I'm like a paleo gluten-free person. They got plenty of stuff compatible with tons of different dietary restrictions and limitations. And, it, you know, they label everything. So anyway, go check out this week's menu. Uh, you're going to get your first three meals free with free shipping. Pretty awesome. If you go to blueapron.com slash roadwork, blue, B-L-U-E, the color blue, apron.com slash roadwork. You're going to love it. You're going to love how fun, fun it is to do, how great it tastes. Don't wait. Support the show. Get uh, three meals free and free shipping, blueapron.com slash roadwork. You know, I have a couple of friends who are, who are truly stalked and like scary, scary stalk. And they'll be, uh, they'll be at some receiving line, some event, and they'll be moving their way down and shaking everybody's hand and getting pictures taken with them. And they'll see one of their, uh, their persecutors in the line. Right. And they can't, they're not in a position to say, to whisper to some security guard, like, get that person out of here. You know, you just, you can't always do a thing like that. So when they arrive at that person and that person sometimes has had a relationship with them for 10 years Mm. and has all this stuff in their hands that they, you know, like, remember the time that you touched my coin, (laughs) um, that, the, that what they're taught, what the, what, you know, what, what, um, what my friends have learned and what they try to impart is like. You just say, hello, nice to meet you. Thank you so much for coming. Right. And, and the person's like, Ben, it's me or whatever. Oh, right, God, right. I have said ben. But, um, you know, your, re- your reaction is just like, hello, thank you. Yes, wonderful. And just looking right through them, moving down the line. No acknowledgement, no recognition. Sure. And that defuses the, or at least it, eventually they'll find someone else because what they're looking for is the, is the exchange of energy. It's interesting that you say that. I, I knew a woman who, um, I think at, at one point, uh, she had been at a conference or something like that and was speaking to, you know, somebody among the many, many people that she met. There was, you know, one guy who had kind of met her and I guess maybe he had, it wasn't clear to her whether there was an interest there or whether he was just a nice guy who was speaking to her. It was, you know, she didn't leave with any kind of weird feeling or anything like that. It was just, okay, you know, maybe, maybe he was interested. I'm not, but whatever. And he kind of, you know, like stayed in touch with her a little bit, you know, like he'd send an email here and there. And then I guess the conference came around again the next year and he started getting really excited reaching out and being like which hotel are you in and when are you getting there and maybe we can meet up and everything like that and by this time she'd never replied to anything that he had sent and when uh you know she but she was starting to get nervous and uh and when it actually came time to uh i guess interact with him she was really not sure what to do and she kind of took a, an approach that was similar to yours in that she just there was n- no she had no real memory of it of the event and when she was sort of asked oh you remember we met and she's like yeah and and she's like oh we met at you know at the pancake house right and he's like no 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 we all had a dinner over here at this place and she's like oh right it was uh the wendy's that we were at and she no no it was this restaurant over here and he, oh no i don't remember you know and 
And that was enough to kind of show, reveal that no real connection had been made. And uh, thumbs up. It was fine. Yeah, I think that that is the, that's generally accepted as the only real way of dealing with. Because she didn't want to make him feel bad. She didn't well, and that's, that's the problem. him. We're, but we're, you, always, you always want to not make the person feel bad. But if you, but what ends up happening then is if you have, if you've made that person feel like they have a special connection with you. Right. And then you say, you need to stop bothering me hmm. because you're really bothering me now. Um, <clears throat> that's a, that's a thousand he, times heating up some lunch. Yeah. I got I'm making some coffee. You know, I microwave. <laughs> you do. Oh yeah. I'm There's not, a lot I'm of not. people who will be displeased to hear that. I know. I know. They you will. know what they actually, did you make the coffee at home? I made the coffee at and home then you and drove. Then I, uh, I let the coffee sit in the coffee pot. Mm-hmm. Mm, so for three days, maybe this is uh, three day old coffee. I'll make it because I have one of these big coffee pots that makes 18 cups of coffee. And I always, oh, because one, one no. of my first principles, Dan, is that always make the entire package of bacon. No, I'm with you there. That's the baconmethod.com, the website that, yeah, I, that I made. That's, that's right. Yeah. Do not make six pieces of bacon because you only intend to eat six pieces of bacon. No. Make all the bacon. Correct. The same is true with coffee. Do not make two cups of coffee. Make 18 cups of coffee <laughs> every time. And then <laughs> if you drink two, if you drink four, doesn't matter. The rest of the coffee sits in the pot on the counter. No. And the next day you wake up and all you have to do is microwave no, that. No. Nope. And then I'm you, out. then you have then you have only eight cups of coffee left in the coffee pot, which are there for you the following day. No. Yes. This is this is just simple mathematics. I will allow I'll go I'll go to the edge uh-huh. of my comfort zone. I'll say three hours. Just wow. to be kind. Just to, out of kindness for you. I will allow three hours. Beyond that, there's all kind of plagues and things that can get in there. How do you keep the, you know, I had a coffee mug right here, my Hulk mug, that I just left on the desk overnight. And the next day I came in and there was all kinds of lily pads growing in it and, and disgusting. Damn, that, did not, that did not happen overnight. Because... I'm gonna, hold on, I'm going to get it and send you a picture. It I know, I know what it looks like. I know what it looks like. I see that, I see that mold all the time. But of it didn't happen because you you're leaving the thing on the counter. Of course, you see it all the time. It didn't happen overnight, Dan. It I happened how, overnight. And I know how long it takes for mold to form in the bottom of a coffee cup. I know probably better than any living person <laughs> who isn't who doesn't currently work in food safety focused on coffee. Because I because I, I see it all the damn time. Because I take coffee cups. I take ceramic coffee cups in my truck. I know all the different stages of. Like what happens to old coffee? And sometimes they are. Did I ever tell you about the time I took a cup of coffee into the garden? It was a, you know, and it was one of my big, like, um, mugs, big, big, uh, steins. Yeah. Took a big stein of coffee into the garden. And I was working in the garden. And sometimes, you know, you lay your stein of coffee down somewhere and you forget it. And so there was a, a big stein of coffee out there somewhere for a long time. And I came along several weeks later and I was like, Oh, there's that coffee. Mm-hmm. And I picked it up and a bird 
had perched on the edge of the coffee and I guess had tried to drink it and had fallen in. Oh my God. So there was a dead bird inside of my <laughs> a bird that had drowned in coffee. Oh my God. Yeah. Pretty How terrible. big was the stein? Pretty big stein. Big enough to contain three cups of coffee and a dead bird. Oh my God. Have you ever like accidentally fermented alcohol in the car? Mm, let's see here. That <laughs> happens periodically. You know, when we were little kids, my mom, I didn't really care for grape juice, but my sister loved grape juice. And my mom would get grape juice and use it and, uh, and portion it out as a reward for my sister. Like if you were a good girl, if you did. Oh, right. Sure. Get a glass of grape juice. Yeah. But it was so rare. Not that, not that Susan did a good job, but just so rare that there was even an opportunity for her to do a good enough job to, at anything to earn a glass of grape juice. That mm-hmm. that grape juice routinely turned to wine in the refrigerator because, you know, she was, Susan was getting a, gla- a little six-ounce glass of it maybe once a week. Yeah. Um, no, but yesterday I had, you know, I, I like to always push the boundaries, the food safety boundaries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and yesterday I was at a store in the afternoon and I went in and I said, you know, I'd like a sandwich, like, a, you know, a cold roast beef deli sandwich. Sure. And the kid was making the sandwich and I said, you know, while I wait, I'll just have a few of these chicken tenders. So he came over and he gave me some chicken tenders. He said, how many chicken tenders do you want? And I said, oh, well, you know, they're $7.99 a pound. I'll take a pound of chicken tenders. So he gave me a pound of chicken tenders and I sat and I was eating the chicken tenders and I realized that a pound of chicken tenders is an entire meal of chicken tenders. Yeah, that's a lot. And by the time I got to the bottom of the chicken tenders, I didn't want that sandwich anymore. <laughs> but this was a custom sandwich. Yeah, you can't put it back on the shelf. Yeah, you can't throw this back. So I was like, wrap the sandwich up to go. And he did. And, uh, but then I, was, I wasn't going home. I was driving around. I had other things to do. So I put the sandwich on the dashboard. Oh, no, no, no. Driving around. And then I realized it's a hot summer day. You don't put the sandwich on the dashboard. No, you don't. So I, so I took the sandwich and I tucked it under the dashboard. <laughs> right, right. What's the weather like in, uh, in Seattle? Yeah, it's beautiful. Beautiful, warm, let's say 80 degrees, okay. sunny with a little breeze off the water. Okay. And so, you know, this whole adventure started about 3.30, and at 10.30, I came out to my truck, because I went and visited a friend that was in the hospital, came out, there was the truck, got in the truck, I was like, oh, that sandwich is in here. And I thought about it, roast beef sandwich in the hot sun, Mm -hmm. from 3.30 to 10.30, Mm I'm not sure. It's got mayonnaise on it. You're not sure at this point. I'm not 100% sure. I'd, I'd be 100% on that. You'd be 100% no? Yeah. Oh, I see. I'm, so I was, I was 90% yes, but the 10% of like, hmm, things happen in food. I know this to be true. But then I always think about how resilient the human being is, how resilient I am how gastrointestinally strong I have proved to be. And I was like, nah, this sandwich is fine. Uh-huh. 
And then in fact, I decided not to eat it. Then I decided to drive it all the way home and eat it like a gentleman sitting at the table. Uh, and I know that there are, I know there are a lot of reasons not to do that. Sure. But then I think of all the reasons to do it, including the number one reason, which is that I paid for that sandwich and it was delicious when I finally ate it because it, you know, the sure the tomato was no longer completely crispy, fresh, and maybe the oil and vinegar had soaked into the bread a little bit, but the whole thing had kind of taken on that quality of, of stew that's been in the refrigerator a couple of days where the flavors all blend the blended flavor blended. Yeah. Yeah. Now, have you ever gotten ill from eating something that you're in your, in recent memory? Well, I mean the food poisoning that comes from eating food where you go to a restaurant and somebody prepared it uncleanly and it, you know, you ate it in the restaurant, but six hours later you're throwing up. I've had that. That's not, I mean, that's just the, that's just eating in places where, that's a little bit of luck of the draw, you know, yeah, that, sure. get food poisoning at a nice restaurant too. Um, a long, long time ago, very early nineties in one of, I think the first sort of national events of this kind, there was a Jack in the box in the university district in Seattle that had E. Coli. Yeah. Ugh. And it was at least in my experience, the first time that I ever heard of E. Coli. And I think nationally, it might have been the first time that E. coli became a thing in the common parlance because it killed a handful of people. The -the jack-in-the-box hamburgers, the undercooked hamburgers, killed some kids and old people. And so it was all in the news. It was like the first time that... This is like 93, right? Yeah, 93. I found an article on this. Right. You remember when the first time some you know, somebody bought some food at a grocery store and it had been it had been poisoned by a, some bad guy? Yeah. The Tylenol scare. Yeah, that was that was the worst. That was big big national news for a long time. Somebody tampered with a bottle of Tylenol. That's what really led to all those tamper-proof seals yeah. and all of that stuff that we it's see the now. The only everywhere. reason we have any of that stuff right. on anything. Right. Tamper-proof seals because of that Tylenol scare. Well, so this E. coli thing happened. Well, I ate at that Jack in the Box no. that day. That day? And that day. And got very sick. Really? And <clears throat> the news, you know, was all about all these people that were sick and then dying. Right. You did not seem to die. I didn't die. And I didn't really like, you know, I was living kind of not on the skids exactly, but that those were not my, those were not my high years. And, and I wasn't in a position to be like, I also have this, you know, I was kind of just huddled up in a corner of somebody's apartment feeling very bad. Right. And you definitely had it though. It seems like, oh yeah. yeah. And no shook doubt. it off, shook it off. And I think, you know, there are a lot of people that ate at that restaurant that day and not, and most of them didn't die. Um, and I was among that crew, but before that I'd had, <clears throat> You know, I was, as my mom is fond of saying, like, I I did not throw up very much. In my whole childhood, I threw up a, a countable number of times, five times from the time I was an, an infant until I was in high school. Right. If I got sick, I didn't throw up. 
And when I drank, I very, very, very seldom threw up. I would get, I would get just blotto. I would drink an astonishing amount of alcohol and never vomit. Uh, toward the end of my drinking career, I would vomit intentionally just to improve capacity in the sense that I would just get so full of alcohol that and I you, would, you want to drink more, but you I know would, if you do, you'll, yeah, I was too full. I, I wanted to, I wanted to keep drinking, but I just had to like get rid of some of this superfluous water that had accumulated yeah. in me. Uh, but I never, you know, I didn't, I never blacked out in my whole time. One time I blacked out on my feet. I was walking through a restaurant in, in, uh, Garmisch Partenkirchen in Germany and I'd been drinking that German Jägermeister, which is made out of some different, it has, it has a different, there, there's some herbs in it, some special German herbs. I got up and was walking across this stube, uh, and I just fucking blacked out on my feet. Came to lying on the floor, surrounded by all these concerned people and later hosen. They were like, wow, that was impressive. <laughs> Walking along like a normal person, and Thank then God. just the somebody just pulled the string out, Ugh. and all your limbs stopped working. Oh my God, that was impressive. So I, you know, there were a couple of times that I did, but I wouldn't call that blacking out. The way that people say, like, I don't remember what happened, right? Like, no, I remembered every every note. Didn't really vomit, you know. So anyway, kind of kind of bulletproof constitution in that sense. And I'm always eating stuff, and uh, you know, in college, right? I would like. I'd be cleaning my room and I'd find a pizza under the bed. And I wouldn't be able to remember exactly when I when terrible. I ordered that pizza and I would just eat it. It's just what is it? It's just everything on a pizza is like cured. Ugh. Um <laughs> and it's not good. It doesn't taste it's not great, but it's uh because my mom has always had a thing of like if I say, Is this is it okay to eat this? after it's been in the refrigerator this many possible amounts of time. And she always says the same thing. Smell it. And I smell it. She says, what's it smell like? I go, fine. She's like, it's probably fine. Like that's, our, that's the extent of our, and I, you know, and I know that there are, there are scientists listening who are going to say that's not fine. Right. But hasn't killed me. I wouldn't feed it to my kid. But some of us are foragers. I mean, hunters, hunters, let's be honest, hunters. Uh But when you're out hunting and you don't see the, the wildebeests Uh and you find, uh, you find something that died on its own or killed by something else. Right. You brush the, a lot of people would, would, would insist on cooking it. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, you're going to cook it probably, mostly. But, you know, the human being wants to wants to persevere against all odds. For sure. In my case, some of those odds are, how long has this coffee been sitting on the counter? Four days? I mean, you're probably all right with the coffee, but. I, I feel like so- coffee mold, coffee mold, like what's the, what's the weird stuff, the weird dust in cat poop? Oh, the, uh, the, the amoeba that gets into the, the woman's brain. Well, that's interesting. Interesting. Well, okay. That's right. Into the woman's brain and into the baby's brain, but it also affects toxoplasmosis, 
which creates a kind of insanity in us that makes us want to have more cats. Yeah, you know about this. Oh, yeah, toxic. Because when my daughter's mother was pregnant, she had two cats. And you do not, you want to be very careful there. So she was, she was just, no cats. just, just initially pregnant, right? Just like right. first, we just found out she was pregnant. Right. And the first, because I had just recently, uh, read something about toxoplasmosis. Sure. But more importantly, this was an opportunity to get rid of those two shitty cats that she had. Yes. Amen. They were, I mean, I'm a cat. I love a cat. And a great cat, there's nothing better than a great cat. I, I'll, I'll stand right here and say nothing tops a great cat, even a great dog. I'm so, I'm so happy to hear that you're a cat person. That makes uh-huh. me feel good. Well, I'm allergic to cats. Me too. But, but, but I, grew up, I grew up with cats. I had cats until I was in my maybe mid-late 20s. Yeah, me too. Sneezing and maybe coughing, 30s. itchy eyes and itchy throat. I just dealt with it. Then the vet would be, uh, the allergist would be like, just don't, don't like ever let them in your, like where you sleep. I'm like, they sleep right next to me. What are you talking about? They sleep on my face. Yeah. I just thought that being a human being must have itchy eyes, a scratchy throat, a constant cough and a, and a runny nose. Of course. But, and I see dogs every day and I know dog people are great and dogs are great. Amazing. I know the love. I see the love. Sure. You share the love. You feel it. Nothing better than a great cat. That said, there is nothing worse than a shitty cat. And there are some shitty cats. And my daughter's mother had two of the least redeemable, most disagreeable cats who, in the wild, if these cats were in the wild, the, uh, the other animals, the, the not only higher predators, but also their fellow cats, would have dispatched them many, many years ago just out of pure disagreeableness. You know, like... They were, they were friendless, these, these creatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, friendless because of their own machinations. Oh. And so I was against these cats from the get-go. And, uh, you know, just like, ugh. And so when I found out that she was pregnant, I was like, those cats have to go. And I think they have to go right into the soil and green machine. Mm-hmm. And she, she refused to send them to live on a farm. Um, she sent them to live with her sister and her sister was a cat lady. Let's just call it what it is and adopted these cats into her brood of other disagreeable, socially maladjusted cats who all lived in this house. <laughs> one of them living on top of the refrigerator. One of them living no, under the like hot water heater. They stake out their own little. Yeah. I their own place where you, you can't pet them or interact with them at all. They're just like lurking gargoyles. Yeah, I don't like that. That's creepy and, in a house. And she would just loved it. She loved these cats. She lived by herself. No babies, no, right. uh, no, you know, seldom even well, house she guests. She had to love them because of the toxoplasmosis. That's right. That's right. But we got them out of the house. And every once in a while, I'll, I'll uh, you know, I will visit my daughter's mother's home and I will find something and I'll say, is this leftover from the time many many years ago when you had cats is this like some is the is the film that's on this ballpoint pen some cat based film right into the dumpster anything that ever touched that cat so toxoplasmosis boy that really changed my that changed my way of seeing the world 
And I don't, uh, I don't currently have a pet and I don't, you know, for a long time, Dan, I wanted a turtle, but then I realized that I did, I didn't want a turtle. My son wants a turtle. I really wanted a turtle when I was your son's age. You know, they, he's really into it. And I think he's, he's trying to decide why, because we're not getting one, but he's trying to decide, should it be a (laughs) a Russian tortoise or should it be this other one? And we went to Dallas. Uh, for a long weekend for this like a little summer trip and we went to the Dallas Aquarium which is this I mean it they do have fish there but it's as much wildlife and and birds as it is fish it's a wonderful construct mm-hmm. that's like a open six stories with birds and it's a it's a quite amazing oh wow that sounds really cool it's like that really one in cool. San Francisco the kind of science center yeah yeah but more just even more open and just the birds are in anyway it's very cool well worth your time, whether you have kids or not. And they had this whole section. Yeah, they call it the Dallas Aquarium, but it's the fish are, there's like eight fish. I don't, but the place is huge. Okay. And, uh, and they have uh, giant crocodiles. They got everything. So there's this one like turtle section and they have like a little arena set up for the turtles and you can see the turtles. They go from one sort of like little cave that has heat lamps in it, which, you know, it's all hidden and looks very natural. You see them sort of migrating together in small groups from one uh, resting area to another, and they're eating food. And he just, we spent more time looking at these turtles than anywhere else. And then uh, recently I was watching China Syndrome and Jane Fonda comes home and she's got some kind of giant tortoise in her apartment. Really? This is not a thing that I remember from. No, me neither. But she gets there's one scene of her at home and it's like after a long day and she walks. I swear to you, she walks in and there is a I would go so far. I'm not saying it's a Galapagos tortoise, but it's a giant tortoise. And. She walks in and she picks it up under her arm, carries it around the way a sort of L.A. Housewife might carry her little poodle or something. Huh? She walks around with this thing under her arm and uh, and eventually lays it on her bed, I think, and is smoking a cigarette, talking on the phone, eating a snack, and, and gives a little bit of her lettuce to the, to the tortoise next to her. Maybe I am now remembering I, the lettuce was the thing that triggered my memory. Yeah, she feed. I think she's snacking on the lettuce, which is all women ate in the seventies. Sure, it was and, a difficult time. Yeah, and, time of great privation. Right, and it would. Why not feed it to your tortoise? <clears throat> Jane so, had a tortoise. I'm looking for a picture of this right now. I can't find it. I mean, that's that's back in the day when you established a character in a film by giving them a very quirky thing. Yeah, like a tortoise. Yeah. Uh, can you think of other examples of that where the uh, where the character is made more interesting by by discovering something in their home in the background as you come in or like they I'm trying to remember one i mean i'm not talking about bj and the bear where he <laughs> it's a plot point that he has a orangutan. I just i've just sent you the photo hmm? it she's at home she's holding her tortoise uh and she's sitting she's got her tape recorder her black traditional sort of ge phone mm-hmm. and what looks like a like a goose light goose light yeah what what do you mean goose light look in the uh look in your on your phone <clears throat> well i'm trying to see here where, where you send me things where do i find those things this you one send? might go to your phone it would hopefully oh i see you texted it to I me i texted it to you um 
Oh, look at her. She does have a goose light. And a picture of Marilyn Monroe in the <laughs> yeah, background. That's what it seems to be. Uh, she's a very, very uh, quirky, eccentric <laughs> character, yeah. as established by these things. I'm thinking. I'm thinking about this as a as a as a movie trope, right? You, your main character comes home. They throw their keys in a bowl. They're looking at their mail, and then they walk over and and greet their cockatiel, or <laughs> right. they, you know, they go feed their alligator. Oh, right, right, Crockett. Had an alligator, right? Did he in the, really? In the early seasons of Miami Vice, I'm fairly, I don't know if I ever saw it or if I just remember reading about it in Time Magazine, but his familiar. Yes. Well, he lived on a boat. That was one thing that made Crockett interesting. Yes. I don't know if we ever saw where Tubbs lived. No, because he was, he was simply there to provide a foil in some ways for, for yeah, Crockett. Tubbs was the one that would, that would sometimes wear a tie, whereas yeah. Crockett never wore a tie. Oh, but Crockett yeah. lived on a boat. Because he was the star of the show, and I guess Tubbs lived in a probably in a nondescript condo. Um, who else? What other characters were established by their? I mean, Crockett. Did he actually need a pet alligator? He already had the Ferrari. He had the he had the white linen suits. Mm-hmm. Lived on a boat. It, it seems a little bit overkill to give him a crocodile, just as it seems a little bit overkill. That Jane Fonda would have a goose lamp, like the tortoise, the, uh, the, I mean, that seems like a nice apartment, sort of cement walled bunker apartment. Yeah. Goose lamp is a step beyond. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to argue that. That's another, that's another thing. I don't want to be a guy. Um, no, you're going to, you're going to say that a tortoise doesn't seem like the right kind of pet for a a woman is what you're going to say. No, 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 no. Okay. I'm just saying like, I don't want like, I'll like whatever my level of quirk is here at my house. I'm very cautious about adding a, like a, a defining quirk. Like if I had a tortoise, the whole thing would turn on its head. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, sure. You've got, you've got 14 Hudson Bay blankets in the living room that's quirky mm-hmm. but a tortoise now now the, the 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 whole thing just got turned up so that it's too loud you know <laughs> like you just turn the stereo up so that it's bothering me. yeah i knew a kid that had a, a, an iguana that had free reign of his house yeah see oh i feel like that's a movie that's a movie thing somebody yeah. with, a, with a big iguana that just has free reign right i had a friend a pretty good friend who had a rabbit, fairly big rabbit that had run of the house and the rabbit understood to go to the bathroom in its bathroom area. And I'm not sure if it used a cat box or if it just sort of went in it. I think it, I think it just contained, it contained its bathroom mm-hmm. to a, to a, to an area like, like a cat would. And this, so this friend's house had a dog, a cat and a rabbit. Just sort of running around, right. rolling. Sure. And dog and cat, sure, you see it. But then when you see the rabbit come into the room and stake out a little quadrant, I mean, everybody takes notice, right? Like, hmm, that's a, there's a rabbit here. And then the rabbit, you know, moves around of its own accord and it, and it has its own will and destiny. And you kind of, <laughs> for sure, you want the rabbit to come over. 
you're not going to sit in the room like a, like a cold hearted monster and be like, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't see the rabbit, right? I don't even notice the rabbit or I don't care about the rabbit. Like that's insane. Of course you care about it. Of course you want that rabbit to come over and validate you, but it's a rabbit. It's Most not, people don't know how really to relate to a rabbit. No, rabbit's not in the business of validating you. A rabbit is a rabbit has its own, keeps its own counsel. A rabbit has a, has a brain the size of a raisin. Yeah. So the rabbit would, you know, sit there and it would chew its cud like they do. And it would move over here and it would kind of move over there. And I think you could call the rabbit. If I recall correctly, it was a, it was a sentient rabbit. A, you could say, a sentient rabbit. Yeah. You could say like floppy and it would, and floppy may or may not come over and, and interact with you and give you the, give sure. you the blessing. But I, I don't have any pets and I'm, and I'm cautious. I'm very cautious. I feel like maybe a chinchilla might be, might be a thing I would get. They're very Ch- soft. They're very chinchilla. pleasant, uh, pleasant little animals apparently. And I think they're hypoallergenic. Yes, I've heard that. I've heard that. Do you, do you remember that scene in The Wire when... Uh, I haven't when, seen it yet. Oh, you haven't seen The Wire? No. Do you, I mean, you can tell me about it. Well, I'm not going to tell you about it. It no, involves... Tell, talk about it because there's, there's a lot of people here who, who have seen for, it. For anybody that knows The Wire, you know, the tropical fish scene where it's like, oh, no, it, this is it. He's about to take a bullet. And then it just turns out it's all about tropical fish. That was a very... That was a very um, you know, that's one of those great suspenseful moments in a TV show where you're like, I don't know how I'm going to bear this suspense. And then there's this tremendous relief. The second time you watch it, you kind of can't remember how suspenseful it was the first time. You can't, you know, you're, because you're looking for all of the foreshadowing. Sure. Like, this isn't what you think it is. Uh, that's that, that, that happens sometimes where you, I mean, the first time you watch The Godfather... And, uh, and you see the sort of like the, 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 the scene where, um, uh, what, uh, Michael's brother-in-law meets his end. Yeah. At the, uh, with, well, I mean, can we spoil it with, with the car? Uh, I mean, every, everybody's, everybody's seen the movie, but you know, he gets, he gets, he gets a ticket to Vegas. Yeah. He's told never to come back. You know, not welcome back. Right. You're going to Vegas. That's your fate. Right. Yep. But don't tell me, but don't tell me you're innocent, Carlo. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because it insults my intelligence. <laughs> and then Carlo goes out the door and, uh, and then Carlo meets his end. Right. The first time you see that, it's like, whoa. Right. And then, you know, after you've seen the Godfather, like, let's say 40 times. Yeah. And you can and you can say all the lines of dialogue. Right. It's still a big moment. It's still very profound. Um, but doesn't have that same you know that same weight of surprise. We would like to thank Wealthfront. Wealthfront is an automated investment service with nearly three billion dollars in client assets. They manage a diversified, continually rebalanced portfolio of index funds for their clients, low cost and tax efficient way. What does all that mean? Let me get, let me tell you a little story about this. A few years ago, I went into uh, one of these, uh, what they call wealth management professionals, like financial advisor type offices. 
you sit down and, and she says, uh, how much uh, do you have to invest? And I told her, I thought it was a lot. I mean, it's a lot for me. It's what I've been saving up for since I was in my 20s. And she kind of said, you know what? Like, maybe you should just go and like uh, invest it on, on your own. I can't really help you. I said, why? I said, well, you kind of need a million dollars really to get my attention. Isn't that frustrating? That to get really good investment advice and great research, you would need a million dollars. That's what Wealthfront said too. They said it shouldn't be like that. Wealthfront said all you need is 500 bucks. You can do more. Their average uh, client is investing about 60,000. But they've got clients with 10 million. But all you need is 500 bucks. And if you invest now for your future, this is not short term. This is for your future, for your family, for your retirement. This is down the road. That is, you can't, you can't start too early. You just can't. So get started uh, right now. Here's the deal. For accounts larger than $10,000, their management fee is only 0.25% per year. But anything under that, it's free. They charge no trading commissions, no, uh, no management fees for under that 10K. But they were talking to us. I said, you know what? Our listeners are, are magical beings. 10K, can you do better? And they said, of course, for you guys, for your listeners, we can do better. We can make it 15K. So they will manage your 15K entirely free of charge for life. You'll never pay commissions, never pay hidden fees, and no management fees on the first 15K you invest. Support the show, support yourself. Wealthfront.com slash 5x5. Again, wealthfront.com slash 5x5. Tell me, Dan, why are you opposed to your son getting a turtle? Well, uh, I'm... I'm still very cognizant of the fact that uh, that if if he gets a turtle, I'll have to take care of it. I mean, he's he's almost nine, he's eight and a half, whatever. But and he's more than capable of taking care of a turtle if he were to get one. But I know he just he won't do it. That's yeah. that's number one. Number two, I don't. I wouldn't put turtles in the category of domesticated animals. Mm-hmm. Because to me, a turtle isn't a domesticated animal, really. Right. You know, in the sense that, like, dogs, cats, and maybe you could even argue rabbits are domesticated to a certain degree, designed and bred to be in a house with us. I don't feel like a turtle... I don't know how you communicate to a turtle that it's done wrong somehow and, and to curb that behavior... Oh yeah, I don't think you can discipline a turtle. You can't. I just can't. I've been trying to think of how of ways, and I don't think there's any way to impress upon the turtle that what it's you know by pooping over here that's bad and pooping over here is good or mm-hmm. spilling the water out of your bowl bad. Mm. I think it's it's enough to communicate to the turtle just drink drink over here, drink from this vessel that I provided to you. Mm-hmm. I think the turtle will figure out where to drink. Yeah. Hopefully. I have two. I have two turtle stories. One, of course, is my friend Joan Hiller, who owns a turtle named Sheldon. And <laughs> That's because, maybe the best, the best name. My my uh, my mom dated someone named Sheldon in the seventies. It's a great name, yeah. particularly a good name for a turtle. And because turtles live for a hundred years, Joan has had Sheldon since she was a little girl. And Joan and Sheldon have a very close relationship. She takes Sheldon out into the lawn with her, and Sheldon eats the grass. 
and they, uh, you know, and she claims to, you know, really know what Sheldon's thinking. Sheldon just appeared to be a turtle to me. I couldn't ever divine its, its intent. But just recently I was in Venice, California and, uh, I've been to Venice, California many times, but I only ever knew Venice kind of three ways, right? There's, there's Venice canals from whence right. it gets its name, right? which is actually a pretty small neighborhood of houses that are built around these canals. It's very charming, but, um, it's, it's pretty con- contained. And then sure. there's Venice, the, the boardwalk, the beach, which is, let's be honest, kind of gross. Yeah. And you're, you know, it's a little bit of a Coney Island style, but with no rides and just a lot of people on skateboards uh, and other people playing Jimi Hendrix guitar and juggling. But it turned, and then Albert Kinney, uh, which is the kind of main drag coming into Venice, which is now just a bunch of mustache Pete's uh, riding uh, Victorian bicycles and selling $15 smoothies and, you know, it's that culture. But I was in Venice long enough and with a, uh, and with my lady friend that we were touring the neighborhoods and you find that there are all these wonderful neighborhoods in Venice that I would never have known about because it's one of those cities where the actual, the houses in the neighborhoods uh, face walking paths. So you never see the fronts of the houses. If oh, you're I get it. Okay, sure. Right. All you see is the backs of the houses. You just see their garages because you're driving around the, what are effectively the alleys, but you can't ever see the fronts because the fronts are just facing one another across a pedestrian path. And they were built this way a hundred years ago. This isn't some new development. This is like, these are old classic bungalow homes and they were just built, uh, uh, with this configuration and you, you wouldn't discover them unless you were walking around and you're like, Hmm, look at that. Look at this weird path. And then you kind of head up it and you're like, Oh, all the houses are facing this way. So I, I grew to understand, appreciate and love Venice, California in a way I'd never, I'd never noticed before, but I was walking through one of these neighborhoods and I came upon a koi pond that someone had in their front yard. Cause these are nice houses. Here was this koi pond and I'm looking at the koi and some of them are big, you know, they're big as a big salmon. Sure. And then I see, oh, there are turtles in this koi pond. And, uh, we're watching my lady friend and I watching this, uh, interaction and this koi, big koi with catfish whiskers swims over to this turtle and the turtle puts out both of its little hands on either side of the fish's cheek very gently and starts kissing slash nibbling at the fish's mouth. That's weird. And the fish stays there and the turtle is, is kissing him and kind of like stroking his cheeks with the, with the turtle's little claw hands. And then the fish very gradually starts moving backwards and the turtle follows. And all the way across the pond, the turtle, the fish is moving backwards and the turtle is stroking its cheeks and kissing it. And we're both like, what's happening? 
Never seen anything like this. So they get all the way across the pond and the fish is like, all right, enough. It kind of breaks off and starts to swim. And the turtle follows the fish, really trying to keep up. The fish can move faster than the turtle. The turtle follows the fish all the way around the pond, you know, and, and paddling, paddling hard. Finally, the fish settles down. The turtle comes up, corners him, and then starts this again. Hands on the cheeks. Kiss, 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 nibble, nibble, nibble. Pushes the fish all the way backwards around the pond until the fish is like, quit it. And, you know, they, these two live in this pond together. They've got to be doing this all day. This wasn't a thing that I just happened upon them doing this for the first time in their lives. No way. No way. This, this is their deal. He's the biggest fish in the pond. The turtle is his special friend. Um, I'm not sure what they're doing, whether the turtle is eating That's little parasites thing. off the fish or whether they really are in love or what. But I'd never seen anything like it. And it really impressed upon me this interspecial uh, friendship that you can have with a turtle. Even a fish can have it with a turtle. Right. Or is the turtle having it with a fish? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, who whose pet is who? It's a little bit of a... Um, I'm going to say the fish is the pet. You think the fish is the pet, but the fish is much, the fish is much bigger than the turtle. Um, like, wouldn't you think, I mean, it seems like a fish also like a koi can live a long time. Yes. It's not like, uh, it's not like the fish is only lives for five Five years and the turtle lives for a hundred. Turtle lives for a hundred. It's a, it's a little bit Maria Doria Russell, like, um, where you where you want to think, oh, this is about this. This is about this is about the turtle and the fish being friends, and then you discover later uh, that that's not what it is about. Um, <laughs> right. I don't know. I gotta. I gotta say. I don't think age or size matters in this, mm-hmm. because I have. I have fish. We've got several fish tanks mm-hmm. at the and house. You, you don't find that the fish have a lot. Of- I just don't think a fish can think in the terms of having its own, having its own pet. I see. I think but- that's you're giving the fish way too much, way too much credit for mm-hmm. thinking thinking ability. I see. I just don't think you can have a, a fish can't have it, a pet. It can have a so, parasite. So the turtle is the turtle is setting the tone, setting the tone. Yeah, and the turtle was a pursuer too. That's from true. From what you were describing it. That's true. The pursuer. Well, uh, pursuant to that. Yes. I, I did have a friend in high school who had a turtle and he did not care for the turtle very well. And the turtle had like crusty eyes and lived uh, in a box. So I agree that, that if your son is not, ready to take responsibility for the turtle. And and you're absolutely right. This is the hundred year problem. If you get a turtle as like, Oh, I'm 11. I want a turtle. You're basically signing on to be like, I'm 111 and I've had this yeah. turtle my entire life. Yeah. The turtle will outlive me. No one wants a turtle that long. I promise you. Joan Hiller and Sheldon. Sheldon's going with Joan. You marry Joan. Yeah. You're, you're... marrying Sheldon. Yeah. 
I wonder, I mean, my chinchilla isn't going to last that long if I get a chinchilla. No. The chinchilla is going to be four years old and, and uh, will be the oldest chinchilla that ever lived. Yeah, my kids are both at that age where they really want a pet. And, I, you know, I've said things like, hey, you know, as soon as you show a little bit more interest and responsibility around the care of <laughs> these fish, which really, it, it involves <laughs> like a water change once a week and just dropping some food into the tank. If you showed even just a little bit of interest and ability to to do that, even if my son walked up to me and said, Dad, don't forget to feed the fish, mm-hmm. that would be a, like the door would be cracked open a little bit. <laughs> he was thinking about the At fish. least he was aware that they eat, you yeah. know. Uh, but they just recently, we ha- I have a pair of angelfish that have started to breed and lay eggs in the tank. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a fun kind of fun experience because they, uh, they the the eggs will be laid and then they hatch only a couple days later, and they uh, once they've hatched, they within these two days they become they go into a, a different stage. Like I was always familiar with the way that guppies, you know, gave birth to the live uh, the little live miniature guppies that are right away able to swim and eat. And the angel fish, like many fish, I think they, they go into this stage called either wrigglers or wigglers where they look, they don't even really look like fish. They look more like, I don't know, a spermatozoa or something. Right. And they wigglers. Just, wigglers. And they just wiggle while sort of pressing against the surface that their eggs were laid on. And mm-hmm. they do that for a period of time until Eventually, they become free swimmers. They're still not really fish yet. Right. And, of course, that's when they really start to get picked off by the other fish in the tank. The parents, though, they're the kinds of fish that will, they will suck. If the, if the little egg or baby fish falls off of its you know, place where it's been laid, they will pick it up in its mouth and puh, spit it back out <sighs> where it goes. So you see these two parents, which are now in this kind of defensive breeding mode, where anything that gets even remotely close to where these babies are, they kind of dive bomb it. They mm. don't hurt the other fish, but they're just keeping them. They kind of herd them into another part of the tank. Huh. Huh. So it's a really interesting uh, kind of experience. And they're both, both kids are very interested in this, but as that, that doesn't seem to translate to me to them being ready to care for a pet of their own. And I remember when I was a kid, when we got our first cat, I really thought I would be taking a lot of care of that cat, but my mom did everything. Uh-huh. Everything. I don't think I'd clean the... Li- I used to, you know, I, I was aware that it had a litter box, but I wasn't about to <laughs> approach that. I had a guinea pig. I had one I, of those bre- very briefly, too. Yeah, I had one not very briefly. I had a guinea pig that... That, uh, that guinea pig and I made a very powerful bond. Uh, That's my, very sweet. My guinea pig was uh, was named Cinnamon Toast. Oh. And Cinnamon Toast lived in a cage in my room. And Cinnamon Toast often slept in my bed with me. That's adorable. Cinnamon Toast was a very, very smart guinea pig. He never, ever, ever pooped anywhere but his cage or oh. peed. So he'd sleep in my bed the whole night and then put him in his cage and he would wait to go to the bathroom cinnamon toast how old are you again 
let's see. I was probably, I got cinnamon toast in the second grade. Oh man. First grade. And that's, second grade? That, that's so like eight, seven, eight years old, nine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Right. Well, let's see. Uh, six was first. Yeah. Seven. Yeah. And cinnamon toast lived a very long time. And the cat, our cat, Tippy, uh, Tippy and Cinnamon Toast were very close friends. The cat would sometimes climb into the cage. Cinnamon Toast and, and Tippy would cuddle up with one another. Uh, they would groom one another. Uh, sometimes Tippy, Cinnamon Toast, and I would all sleep in the bed together. This is very adorable, John. And Cinnamon Toast, you know, he was a big guinea pig, and he was a muscular guinea pig, and he was just a wonderful guy. And, uh, you know, guinea pigs last live a couple of years, but cinnamon toast lived four years. It's cause he was so yeah. happy. This is the Jake. happiest guinea pig in the history. Yeah. He was a very, he was a good pal. And I would in the summer take his cage. So, you know, a guinea pig cage is like a steel cage and then it sits in a base that you carpet with newspaper and then the, you know, the poop and the pee go through the bottom of the cage. Right. And you can, you know, clean it fairly easily. But in the summer, I would take the cage part out from the, um, from the base and I would put the cage in the grass so we could be out in the yard together. I'd be in the hammock reading or whatever. And cinnamon toast would be there, you know, kind of luxuriating in the grass that came up through the bottom. of. And then sometimes I would just take him out of the cage and we would party in the lawn. Uh, And so when Cinnamon Toast finally died, it was very tragic. We were all broken up about it. And I got a couple of new guinea pigs to replace Cinnamon Toast in my life. But these guinea pigs were idiots. They were just normal guinea pigs. Right. Who were just dumb and dumb and and did not want to be part of the family. They wanted to be dumb guinea pigs. And I couldn't, it was not just that I was upset at not being able to bond with these things. It was, I was deeply philosophically upset that it turns out guinea pigs are stupid or like I didn't even recognize these guinea pigs as being a member of the same phylum or whatever. Like they, they did not resemble cinnamon toast at all. Right. And it was, yeah, it was like, it was like having a friend. And then meeting another person and then other person doesn't even speak, not just your same language, but like that just has dead eyes. Yeah. These guinea pigs had dead eyes. So I got rid of those guinea pigs. Yeah, I was like, sure. get these out of the house. I got nothing to say to these guys. But cinnamon toast, even today, right? I mean, in my family, at least, if you start talking about cinnamon toast, everybody's got a story. Well, John, I think we should end the yeah, show. Yeah, I now. guess uh, that's pretty good ending. People have been complaining to us that they either they can't tell that the show is ending or they don't like the way that we're ending it. So perhaps we should end the show. Yeah, we should have a now. definite ending for the show so people know the show is over. Don't get confused about whether or not the show is still going. But also, not an ending that like is jarring or in any way makes them feel like the end of the show isn't being respected by us the showers 
<laughs> right. So uh, let let You're us saying, now end now? the show. Do you feel that do people the, are ready the for the show to end? Not yet. Here, we'll do the end of show sound. Here we go. Thank you.